We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 25, and Pastor Brian will be preaching on this. I'll just be reading it. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowd with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they had heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest. This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. You may be seated. Before I get up and speak on Philip the Evangelist, I'm going to ask another Philip to come up and give a couple of words. Hello, everyone. Sin. We all struggle with it. Romans 3.22 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Once we were unbelievers, slaves to sin, called out of darkness into light. Now we are believers and at war with sin. There was death in Adam, Romans 5.12. Sin came into the world through one man and death through all sin. Death spread to all men because sin was in us. But there's hope. The cross. The blood of Christ. Because we're dead to sin now. And we're alive with Christ. The old self was crucified. With him that the body of sin may no may the body of sin may be brought to nothing. 
We would no longer be enslaved to sin. Romans 6, 8. We have died with Christ and believe we also might live with him. This is the grace of God. His grace abounds. We've been renewed in the mind, the body, and the spirit. So when we struggle, don't let the enemy beat you up. Put on the full armor of God. Protect yourself. Believe in Him. Always look at the cross. And know what that cross stands for. The victory was won that day. Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So do not be condemned. We are not condemned. We're free. The chains are broken. We're no longer slaves to sin. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. Romans 8. Romans 8.9. We are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So the spirit of God dwells within us. Nobody said it was going to be easy to be a Christian. Especially when we live in a world full of darkness. But we're not in that darkness no more. We're in light. And being called to light means that we don't have to worry about that no more. We're going to struggle with it. It's a real struggle. But we're not going to be conformed to it no more. We won't be conformed to it. Because there's a power a lot greater than sin in our problems. And that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John 16.33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace in me. Here on earth you have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So brothers and sisters, I thank you for hearing a message that God put on my heart for all of you today. And it's honestly um, a blessing. It is a real blessing. So let's follow Christ with all our hearts, mind, body, and soul. Love Him every day and pick up the cross and follow Him. Thank you. Anybody there in 1853? I see two hands go up. In a hotel kitchen, George Crumb. Anybody know George Crumb? I think you know more about George Crumb than you want to admit. But anyway, he was a chef in the Moon Lake House. Saratoga Springs and there was as he was cooking someone grumbled about his fried potato so he wanted to play a cruel prank and so he took the potato and sliced it super thin super deep fried it super salted it sent it out and guess what the potato chip was invented it went viral and my wife is extremely happy for George Crumb it was one of those accidental uh, inventions. 
Now, when we read our text today and we see what's going on in the book of Acts, the apostles had no idea of what was going to take place after the death of Stephen. I lost my... Where is it? Get over here. They had no idea. That's what's taking place. The church has just been disrupted. As we spoke about last week, Stephen has been stoned to death. They've lost an extraordinary young man gifted in mind, in heart, and supernatural power. He's taken away out of the life of the church. The church is now under persecution by Saul, who's going house to house, hunting down Christian men and women. The church doesn't exist the way it was. The rug was pulled out right from underneath them. Philip, who was a deacon within that church, who was part of the food pantry, this man who fed the hungry, that's what his job was, finds himself on the run, and while he's on the run, he discovers something. He's more than just a food pantry guy. He's an evangelist. He wasn't an evangelist until the persecution started. He ran for his life. All he had was hope in God and the message of the gospel. Had nothing else. But yet God was with him. The church had no idea who this young man was. The church had no idea of the true power of the gospel. They had no understanding of how much God loved the Gentile. They had no understanding. But it took a persecution that looked like the church was going to be over to realize the church had just begun. This is the beginning of the genuine, as I could say, birth of the church the second time. Not just at Pentecost with the Jewish believer, but now the church is going viral, it's going throughout the world, and the Gentiles are going to be pouring in. That's the rest of the book of Acts. As we saw last week, the church after Stephen's death was persecuted greatly for their faith. The underlying antagonism that prevailed in Jerusalem at a low level came to a head with Stephen's rebuke of the Hellenist hard hearts. The crowd, the crowd finally had enough of this Jesus stuff and attacked the young man and stoned him to death. This all caught the eye of another young man named Saul, a religious Pharisee with hatred in his heart for both the Christian and their doctrine. Saul, with his religious credentials, gave sanction to this mob outburst and stoning of Stephen. This whole thing didn't just catch the eye of Saul, but it also caught the eye of God. And God took his church and scattered them as witnesses throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. And they left preaching the gospel. They didn't leave as refugees. They left as missionaries. Our story tonight follows the exploits of one of these fleeing missionaries. This deacon, Philip, who was just a food pantry type of help guy. But in his heart was a love for the Lord and a love for the lost. He, like Stephen before him, was one of those seven chosen to be the deacons in the Jerusalem church to help feed the hungry. Now we see how we got to start, as I already mentioned, as an evangelist. It was almost an accident. He wasn't an evangelist. The Bible never says he was an evangelist until Acts 21, verse 8. 
That's where Philip is known as Philip the Evangelist. In hindsight, Luke is writing back and saying, this is how it all began. They didn't lay hands on the deacon. They didn't lay hands on Philip. So you know something? In between feeding people, being evangelist. God had called him to be an evangelist. God was way ahead of the apostles when it came to the persecution. As Hebrews chapter 2 says that God gave, the Holy Spirit specifically gave gifts to the church. An evangelist is one of them. Philip goes out as a man who just lost his job at the local church under persecution. He's fleeing for his life and he finds out that he is a genuine evangelist of God. The 21 verses that Pastor John read that I'll be commenting on tonight can be broken down into this and I'll be preaching accordingly. Verses 5 to 8 is a general observation of the effects of the gospel that took place in a certain city of Samaria under Philip. Verses 9 to 13 is an introduction to a man named Simon, a magician. Verses 14 to 17 is the verification and authentication of the apostles in this new work. Excuse me. Verses 18 to 24 is a face-off. Between the false believer Simon, who thinks he's still great, and the apostle Peter, who still knows he's a sinner. In verse 25 is the mention of the apostle's newly learned lesson that God has gone to the Gentiles, or the Samaritans. Let's read verses 5 to 8 in our comment. <coughs> Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice, came out of many of them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Here we notice that Philip, after fleeing Jerusalem for his life, the ministry of the food pantry was over. He takes up the role as a preacher. And much to his surprise, guess who shows up? God. God is backing up the message. This was God's way of revealing to Philip that he was an authentic evangelist. He was called to the job. It wasn't something he learned in school. It wasn't something someone gave to him by the laying of hands. He opened up his mouth and God filled it with what? God filled it with good things, and great things were happening. He hammered out his ministry and called by God in the fire of persecution. And the fruit of his preaching was the deciding factor. He went from the oven to the frying pan because though he was fleeing Jerusalem and he was going to Samarians, please understand something, there was a tension that existed between the Samaritans and the Jews for centuries. He went to hostile territory. He ran from one hostile territory to another hostile territory. Because that's where God ran. And he hammered out his ministry as he preached and he preached 
and God backed up this preaching by the casting out of demons, by uh, the, the, the healing of lamed people and the paralytics. And that's where he found out he was an evangelism and that the gospel is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. This was no easy crowd to win over. They were a tough crowd. There was tensions that existed. There was animosity, suspicion, hatred. The only thing me and you can attribute it to today would be something like racism. It was deeply ingrained into their society, in their culture, in their hearts, in their upbringing, on both sides. But yet he opened up his mouth, he preached to them the Christ. And this is interesting because there's something about the Samaritans. They had a, an understanding that there was a Christ to come, according to Moses. It was warped, it was elementary, it was a little unbiblical, but they had an understanding and a hope that we find from John chapter 4 with the woman at the well that the deliverer was going to come. They thought it was coming out of Samaria. They didn't understand that salvation comes from the Jew. So with this sort of broken hope, this misinformed hope, Philip preached the Christ to them. God showed up. Revealed to them that the message is real by signs and wonders. The people believed. The people were baptized. And guess what was going on in the city? Great joy. Think about the light shining in the darkness. Think about the Gentiles would see a great light. Could you imagine being under the oppression of a man like Simon the magician who held them captive and spellbound by all sorts of mischief and sleight of hand and cloak and dagger and smoke and mirrors and false teachings about he's the great power of God. Now all of a sudden, for the first time, they're set free from their sin and condemnation and their shame and their guilt. And they're set free from Simon by this message about the Christ who came and suffered and died and rose again. And they embraced it. And what was going on in their heart was being witnessed by signs and wonders. The greatest sign of wonder, of course, is what was taking place in the heart. And great joy was taking place. A magnificent picture of God's love for people. Magnificent. Philip's hardship became this city's greatest joy. Don't you know that's a spiritual principle? Do you have any idea for... Let me me take a moment. Are you genuinely grateful that you are born again? Don't look too enthusiastic. That's not a trick question. The truth of the matter is, you should be shouting hallelujah. Hallelujah! And you feel free to do it. Otherwise, you have never pondered the greatness of Christ on your behalf. The reason you and I are filled with joy and have peace and have happiness is because someone else suffered Someone else laid down their life, not just Christ, but a long list of faithful men and women 
mothers and fathers, friends, sisters, brothers, acquaintances, neighbors, someone told us about Jesus. And before they told you about Jesus, they were probably rejected time and time again, but they did not shut up until they got to you one day and told you about Jesus. Philip didn't shut up and say, oh, I'm a refugee, poor me, I'm a victim, I had a nice little ministry, and, and then the bad people came, and they scattered us, and, well, you know, could, does, does anybody have a handout for me? Like, like I'm a victim over here. No, when Philip left and he fled for his life, he left as a missionary with his heart filled with Christ and riches for the world. And he didn't take it laying down that he was being persecuted, that what was my little life, that my little life is all over now. His life had just begun. And with it came great joy to this city. How do we sit back? How can we not be a joy in someone else's life? I think of a parent. I think of a father, I think of a mother. When you become a parent, your life as you know it, in a sense, is what? It's over. There's no more when I retire. Understand, your emotions and your mind and your concern for your loved ones and your children, your grandchildren, don't go on retirement. You take it to the grave. And that's what it is to be a Christian. Your life is over. It belongs to Christ and to the service of other people. Philip knew that. It goes on to say here in verses 9 to 13. Excuse me. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. I think I know this guy. I think I know a few people like that. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time, he amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Though there was great joy, there was also great cunning. Though there were great things being done in the hearts of many, there was fraud in the hearts of at least this one man, Simon. Simon is introduced as a man who thought very what? very highly of himself. He was a first century sorcerer. The ancient world was filled with charlatans. Uh, Like today, there were some that were better than others. Whether they were genuine satanic power or just smoke and mirrors and sleight of hand, we don't know. One thing we, we do know for sure, there was both satanic power was at work and sleight of hand magicians were a dime a dozen, some better than others. Could have been a combination. But what we do know is more important. I have to try to figure it out. What we do know is more important. The whole city, for a long time, the scripture says, 
paid attention to him. That means listened with the, with the object of obey, obeying. As though he was the sage, he was the, he was the seer, he was the prophet, he was the Christ. They paid attention to him. Wherever he went, the town followed. He was the tail that wagged the dog or the dog that wagged the tail. He was the spokesman. He was the power of God that is called great. He was a religious charlatan of some sort. A sort of pay-for guidance spiritual seer. Some guru. But you had to pay. Now Philip also had a message. Bible says that they paid attention to him. His message was of salvation. Of being right with God. Of the forgiveness of sin. Of washing away shame and guilt. And, and being right with the Lord. And right with one another. He had a different message. And Simon didn't like the new message in one sense. Because everybody was listening to who now? So powerful was the message. Backed up by the signs and wonders. That even Simon believed. We don't see it now, but we'll see it later. This threatened his enterprise. He follows Philip like everybody else followed. He listened to Philip like everybody else listened. He believes in Philip's message like everyone else believed. He was baptized like everyone else baptized. You ever see people follow the crowd? But make no mistake about it. He's not like everybody else. He's a fraud. It was not Philip's role at this time to figure this out. He was the evangelist preaching. And when the evangelist preaches, guess what he does? He preaches. Then after he preaches, guess what he does? He preaches. And after that, guess what? He pre- that's what an evangelist does. All they do is preach. They don't pastor. They're preachers. This man was a fraud. It wasn't Philip's role at this time to figure it out. Simon had his great, I like to call it, I believe game face on. Ever talk to somebody about Jesus? They never talk about Jesus, but if you say, well, you know, they say, I believe. It's like, you know, Humpty Dumpty fell. Humpty Dumpty had a... Jesus was born of the... He suffered under... He was crucified. It's the same thing. People have their yes game on. Jesus means nothing to them. It's, it's, it's like a childhood nursery rhyme. That's what Christianity has become today in America and a lot of the world. People for decade upon decade are reciting something they heard as a child. It brings some sort of comfort to them. But it's not the power of God to salvation. Simon's this person. I was that person until 30 years old. And I heard the gospel message and said, Duh, Brian Martin is a genuine sinner under the wrath of God. But yet he loves me anyway and died for my sins. And that day I accepted Christ as my Savior and never turned back. 
That's what this crowd was doing, except for somebody named Simon. All looks good for now, all looks normal, but it's only for now. And we have this interlude over here, verses 14 to 17. It's verification and authentication. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. But when they... But they have only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. Upon hearing the report, verse 14 says, the Samaritans, think about it, the church in Jerusalem is in disarray. They're in all hands on deck. The boat is sinking. We're under persecution. The church, the flock is disrupted. Only the apostles hang on. The apostles are trying to hold it together. They're manning their post. A report comes back about the deacon that used to serve food is preaching to the Samaritans who no one likes. And guess what? People are getting saved. We got to go down and check this out for ourselves. We got to verify this. Is, is this authentic? <laughs> so they get off, they go, and they find out that it's true. There's a new cutting edge ministry taking place by just lay people. Just lay people. Just a deacon. Nice guy. But he serves food. And now, now I want you to know for a second, I am sure the apostles knew much about Stephen and Philip's ministry, the attributes, their gifting. But the point is, they didn't know it all. This truly took the apostles in Jerusalem by surprise. They go down. Could this be possible? And upon arrival, they find is as they heard. They recognize through an investigation by speaking and finding out what was taking place that they had not received the Holy Spirit yet. See, they weren't marching down there saying, you know, John, what's that, Peter? You know, they they haven't received the Holy Spirit. Let's let's get into a theological debate on this. Are they cessationists? Are they continuous? Do they believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Or they don't believe in the ministry? Let's go down and find out. No, what's going on over here? They hear the gospel is received. They hear things are taking place. Could this be? They go down. They find out that people are coming by the multitudes and accepting Christ. They're being baptized. But the apostles realize they have not received yet the Holy Spirit. This is a turning point, And this is why. What they were saying is, has God truly accepted them as his new covenant people? Are these generally, these Samaritans, these half-breeds, is what they were thought of. Are they people of grace? Are they part of the body of Christ? 
Is this genuine? Have they received the Holy Spirit that the Christ promised us in the upper room? That the Holy Spirit would come upon them? Are they truly part of God's church now? After evaluating and re-emphasizing the gospel to them, there's a genuine acceptance. They lay hands on them. They're filled with the Spirit of God. And the only thing we can equate that to is that they started speaking in tongues. The only thing we can really see, the only visual. But really what's going on over here? This is not a theological debate. This is a sign to the apostles. This is for the apostles. That the gospel has indeed gone to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles, and to the outer parts of the earth. God accepts all without exception now. That's what the filling of the Holy Spirit was. That was the whole thing. The apostles know now. They're beginning to know that God accepts all those without exception, based solely on Jesus alone. No affiliation with Judaism. On Jesus alone, on faith in Jesus alone, it's Jesus Christ, period, that saves a man and brings him into relationship with God. For the apostles, it was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that they recognized God has gone to Samaritans. This is a turning point in the book of Acts and in God's redemptive purposes in the world. Really what needs to go on, and I'll speak more about this as the weeks go on, Jewish Christians need to catch up with what God is doing. Matter of fact, many of us need to catch up with what? We forget that God is actually doing something. We get so caught up in our own lives and what's not being done that we're we're missing that God's doing plenty. If we just get out of ourselves and get into someone else's life, you watch what God is doing. As a minister, I love that's a great part of my job. I share this all the time. Christians don't know how to rejoice in another man's conversion. Christians don't know how to rejoice in another Christian's sanctification. You need to get ahead of yourself and see and hear what God is doing in other people's lives. I don't know how blessed you are, but when Philip came here and he spoke and he encouraged us and he gave an exhortation with my eyes closed and my heart lifted up, I was like, praise the Lord, God is at work. The turning point. Jewish Christians needed to catch up with what God was doing. Verses 18 to 24, we go back to Simon. Now when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone who I may lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right with God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. What Peter's saying, I don't know how deep the goal of bitterness is. You might be so far gone that I can't tell that you might be beyond repentance. You're so bad. If possible, if it ain't so bad, 
that the intent of your heart may be forgiven, that's put there to let us know just how wicked this man is. Don't miss it. This is not a man who says he believes in his little ignorance. There is a calculating mischief taking place. Peter sees it, and he calls it as it is, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness, in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said comes upon me. The receiving of the Holy Spirit was so magnificent, so visually awe-inspiring. Spontaneously, the crowd erupted in spontaneous praise to Jesus Jehovah. All at once, they laid hands on him. They were filled with the Spirit of God. And they were singing and they were prophesying. They were praying. They were, tears were running down their face. And this spontaneous ejaculation of praise and worship overtook the whole room or outdoors, wherever it was. It was overwhelming. Simon saw both the initial speaking in tongues with a spontaneous, eruptive praise and worship and the fruit of a new creation. And this is what he wanted to buy. I want to make a note here. This man followed Philip's ministry. Philip was healing the lame. Philip was casting out demons. You would think that Simon would want that power. You know, Philip, I'll give you money if you give me that power. I want to cast out demons. It never caught his attention. But the filling of the Holy Ghost, that's what he wanted. The bidden, the goal of bitterness. He wanted to manipulate God. God the person, not the power of God. The Holy Spirit. I want to control the Spirit. This is where Simon's heart begins to be revealed. Peter the Apostle, a true shepherd of the sheep, called to the ministry, sees right through this man's heart that his heart is not right with God. You know why? It's never been right with God. His faith was feeble and short-lived. It was not about being right with God that meant anything to him, but what he could get from God that mattered. Peter rebukes him and reveals to Simon what really is going on on the inside. This man who thinks he's great is finding out that he's filled with the gall of bitterness and iniquity. Now you might miss this. I don't want you to miss this. Peter says, if possible, that God would forgive you of the intention of your heart. And I learned a long time ago, many years ago, I remember reading my first commentary. 
And I had an overwhelming experience when I found out that God has jurisdiction over a man's heart. And that's enough to condemn us. It changed my whole outlook. I always thought, like, who was a bad person with what they did? We live in a society that does what? They judge what? What you do. But we live under the eye of God who watches what we are. That the intent of your heart may be forgiven. And he gives him another opportunity to repent of this wickedness and be saved. But Simon's not filled with faith. He's filled with superstition. He, he, he misses this penetrating diagnosis of his own heart. For he has no ears to hear. He can't hear it from the apostle Peter. He can't hear it from Philip. His mind is set on gall of bitterness and iniquity. And he could care less. But he is superstitious. And of course, with one last ditch effort, superstition wants it to go away. Pray for me that this go away. More is going to be said about this man in application. See, Peter saw what Philip could not. This man's heart, the intentions of his heart, were corrupt beyond just a moral, sinful behavior. Let me explain it. I'll give you an example. I know most of you know I had a past life that I'm not the great man you think I am today. I had a friend, an acquaintance. It was only acquaintance because he sold good drugs. But he was a shifty, shifty character. Always wanting the angle. Any way he could get money, make money, steal money. It was always about the money. I didn't see the guy for 40 years. Maybe 38 years. I saw him about two years ago. How are you doing? What's going on? I shared what God was doing to me. I shared with him the gospel. And I could see him thinking. And I'm thinking, maybe he's really listening to me. And I'm like, all right, you know, there's a new, new season. God's going to save this man. He goes, are you ordained? I said, yeah. He goes, you don't have to pay taxes, right? <laughs> Still shifty, still playing the angles, still trying to get over. He's like, how did you get that ordination? He wanted to get ordained so he doesn't have to pay tax. First of all, I pay taxes, all right? When you're ordained, you get a couple of nice little things, but that's all it is. But he thought, if I can get ordained, I don't have to pay taxes. And that's the way his mind, that's the way Simon thought. It was all about the angles. He was thinking about the angle, the religious angle. How this can work for me? How can I lay hands on people and get them to? How can, that's all this. The world is filled with charlatans. The church is filled with charlatans that are filled with angles and nothing else. They don't care about God. They don't care about God's people. They don't care about God's word. They'll say anything to get something. Verse 25. So when, excuse me, just digress. Peter saw this wasn't just a moral failure that many of us struggle with. When he said, if possible, he wasn't saying, I know you're struggling with some sins, if possible. No, no, no. 
His sin was so calculated. It was so self-serving that he would want to manipulate God that gave Peter the unction to say, if possible, because Simon, the truth of the matter is, you're so far gone, your heart is so filthy, rotten, there might not be any hope for you left. What's the apostle's lesson? Verse 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. After spending some time there and reinforcing the faith of these newly converted souls, they headed back to Jerusalem. But this time, they preached the word of the villages. They didn't do that ever before. They were beginning to get it. The gospel has come to the Samaritans. God truly has other sheep in his fold. Prejudice are starting to come down. Racism is starting to come down. Suspicions are starting to come down. Old indoctrinations going back to the religious upbringing are starting to come down. Uh, learned behavior from parents are starting to break down. They're, they're getting rid of all this and they're going back and they're doing what God wants them to do. But we're going to learn over the next three chapters that the Christian's heart is slow to learn. They didn't get this lesson right away. It was the beginning. But it was the beginning. Let's go to application. I'll close. Application one. Philip's calling. Like all first century calling, it was recognized by zeal and fruit. Not just zeal and education. God was genuinely at work in Philip's ministry of preaching. People could tell that God was involved now, not because like Simon, who thought himself great, and everybody paid attention to him, they were paying attention to the man who didn't think himself so great, but preached about the only great one, Jesus Christ. They paid attention to him, And they were saved. Calling is not about just, I can't tell you how many times, not not a lot, let me me paraphrase. Many times people have come to me and John and say, you know, we're gifted to, it's usually preaching and teaching. People like to get up in front of other people. And they would tell us how gifted they are. That's like the kiss of death. You might as well tell me that I I could care less about the sheep. You know, this is about me and what I think about myself. Gifting is recognized in the heat of battle. Gifting is recognized by others. And most of all, gifting and calling by God is recognized by the fruit the preaching and teaching does. And that's how they recognize Philip. Simon. You know, Simon's still with us. Did you know that? Simon the charlatan, Simon the magician, he's still with us. Do you know there's a word in the dictionary, it's called simony? Have you ever heard that? You know what it means? It actually means simony. They use it in ecclesiastical circles. It's when someone tries to buy ecclesiastical influence and power. It's called simony. The Catholic Church has been... Rampant with that, I don't know, not now, but definitely back to the time of the Reformation, you can buy your position as a cardinal or, or, or a bishop, 
and be a wealthy landowner, and if you got that position, you were set. You were set. But Simon, he still goes on in a much more subtle, ugly way. Kissing up, bribing the minister, the leader, the pastor, over, how can I say, uh, flattery. There's all these ways that simony goes on to get yourself within the good graces of a leader. People do it at work with their bosses. They do it with their shop stewards. They do it. It makes no difference. There's a pecking order, and I'm at the bottom over here, and I want to get to the top, and I want to pass the pecking order, so I go right to the top, and I make them feel special. That's simony. There's a proper way of going from one rung of the ladder to the other, to the other, to the other. There's a proper protocol in life, isn't there? Spiritual frauds will always be with us. But understand something what our text teaches us here, and Paul teaches us later, and Jude teaches us, and Second Peter teaches us, and Revelation teaches us. Sooner or later, guess what? They're exposed. Sooner or later, God will let us know there's a Simon amongst us. But a good shepherd, like Peter, who's close to the Lord, who loves God's people, can see it right away. That's what shepherds do. They might not know it exactly, but something goes on in the heart and says, something's wrong here. Something, I can't tell you, each other, each other. something is wrong. Guess what we do? We pray. And all I got to do is sit back. And then when someone says, I want to tell you something, I don't want to hear anything that you have to say. God will tell us. Charlatans, sooner or later, reveal themselves. And as pastors pray, and love the sheep, and are concerned for the sheep, you can rest assured that every Simon that walks through the door, because of the prayerful consideration of the pastor and his love for his sheep, will be found out sooner than later. But Simon represents something else today. Many people have come to God for all sorts of personal reasons. Do you know that? All sorts of personal reasons. They come for this, they come for the music, they come for the food, they come for, for there's a feel-good feeling. I had a friend of mine, Jewish fellow, I spoke to him about the Lord for a long time, he goes, I want you to know something, Brian. I listen to you because every Christmas I go up to the Baptist church on 57th Street, I forget the name of it. He did it for 40 years, an older man. He goes, the music makes me feel good. And then I started talking to him about his heart one day and about sinfulness and depravity. He goes, oh, wait, I'm not into this. I'm not into this. So that's what Simon said. You know, pray for me, Brian, that the Lord wouldn't do anything to me. You know what I mean? I said, no, I'm offering, God's offering you salvation now. Well, beyond the happy song that makes you feel good, and now you're hearing the gospel message that saves you, but you don't want to hear it. Many people, after hearing teaching and preaching of faithful men and women over the years, or even months or weeks, sometimes they got to get out of here. It's like it's saving. All this sin talk, all this repentance. See, they don't hear about God's love and God's mercy, God's forgiveness. They only hear it as bad stuff. That's what Simon was. 
It was all good until Simon found out about his heart. That's what he didn't want. Then the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit. There's been a long theological argument. Does every true conversion have to come with the great sign and wonder of speaking in tongues? Please let me tell you first. No. Let Paul tell you. Does everybody speak with a tongue? No. That's the answer. But the Holy Spirit always comes with experience. Every true conversion will be able to give testimony. The believer will say, you know something? I know God has done something. And other people will see the fruit of that something. I might have not been there to something when you were sitting in the service and God moved upon your heart and you say, Brian, I want to try to explain to you and, and I listen. But the most important thing is that I see the fruit of a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. That's New Testament belief. <clears throat> the filling of the Holy Spirit, like I said, was a special occasion for the apostles that they knew that God was doing a fresh work amongst the Samaritans. And let me close with this. The fifth application, we all need to learn this lesson from the apostles, the, the, the lesson the apostles learned, that God is at work in the most unlikely places. And we miss out on that. We really do. We really think that God only saves those that came to Jesus like me. you got to be down and out. you got to be a drunkard or some womanizer, some, some kind of genuine delinquent only comes to Jesus. And we got to realize that God goes to the rich, he goes to the religious, he goes to people that don't even know they're sinners. Or he might go to a whole different ethnicity. Let's keep our eyes open and learn the lesson that the apostles learned. That God is at work Amongst the people that don't look like us, sound like us, smell like us, dress like us, and everything else. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you, Lord, for giving me some kind of strength and grace here to articulate this text, Father God. As I'm not feeling well. I thank you. I pray that my cold has not been a burden on your people, Father God. And I pray that the word is alive and active in our hearts, Father God, in Jesus Christ.